Uh, I lost a lot of friends when I got sick, and and a lot of my family members just they don't they don't understand. And I just wish that like people got that one. You don't have to get it to be there for someone. And by being there for someone, sometimes the easiest thing you can do is ask them how they're feeling or if they need anything. And also just understand that if they're feeling irritable or um, emotional, it's because. The level of pain they're in, normal human bodies cannot handle. It's 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 a level of pain that eventually you get used to. But I even remember very viscerally when I first got sick, I was like, I'm not going to survive this. This is so painful. I how am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Hi everyone. This is Aletta, founder and creative director of Our Climate Voices. Climate Change is Personal is our new podcast, where we're listening to people's personal experiences with the climate crisis and learning from their wisdom about how to create a future that is resilient, community-based, and centers the leadership of people on the front lines of the crisis. For those of you who are new to our climate voices, we are a collective led by young, queer and trans folks, BIPOC and disabled people working to humanize the climate crisis, catalyze systemic change, and vision the future that we want to make real. So, we mobilize our personal experiences with climate change to hold those who profit from the climate destruction accountable, and we share our collective wisdom about how to embody a resilient, interdependent, and just future. Today, we're here with the kind-hearted Laura Krauss, a climate organizer and advocate for reproductive justice and disability rights. Laura has multiple autoimmune diseases, a brain tumor, and Lyme disease, which she has likely lived with for seven years undiagnosed before her diagnosis three years ago. Climate change is personal to Laura because the tick that bit her, the Lone Star Tick, in southern Oregon is not common to the northern U.S., but has expanded its territory due to climate change. Realizing this has put an urgent push on Laura's advocacy work to pass policies that can help protect people's health here in the United States that are similarly threatened by the climate crisis. Laura, thank you for sharing your story with us today. So I'm Laura Krauss. I'm the Oregon Field Organizer with Our Climate, and I am disabled. I have multiple autoimmune diseases and a benign brain tumor. Um, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease three, three years ago now, but it's believed that I've had it for probably at least 10 years. Um, and because of Lyme disease, I have developed several other autoimmune diseases. Um, I have PCOS and, um, I have Hashimoto's, which means that my immune system is attacking my thyroid and, um, I am dealing with a benign brain tumor that affects my hormones. A lot of the work that I do in climate justice is directly stemmed from disability justice. I used to work in reproductive care. I worked for Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon for about five years. And a lot of the work that I was doing with Planned Parenthood, I was realizing wasn't as extensive as I wanted to be doing in my advocacy work because a lot of the people that were coming in were coming in with similar strugglers struggles that I had as far as reproductive issues. And I was realizing that a lot of those issues stem from issues that are happening in our environment right now. So I decided to get into um, climate justice and work on passing policies that could help protect people's health here in the United States. 
And around the time that I was starting to really work on climate policy, I was realizing that my issue actually stemmed from Lyme disease. And Lyme disease is becoming more prevalent in the United States because we have longer and hotter days, which means ticks live longer. So more and more people are going to end up getting Lyme disease in their lifetime in the United States because of this. And I I honestly believe that I got Lyme disease just because of climate change and the fact that it is longer and hotter where I was bit by that tick, which was in Southern Oregon. Um, The tick that I was bit by actually is not common to Southern Oregon. It's common to Texas. Lyme disease is, it's a disease that um, stems from a tick bite. And it could cause multiple issues, but basically what it is, is it's like a a bacteria that the tick leaves in your body that attacks your nervous system. So the most common symptoms of Lyme disease are extreme migraines, fatigue, overall body aches, um, but it can lead to more extreme symptoms. So when Lyme disease is left untreated, it can lead to neurological Lyme, which studies are finding out that actually might be one of the root causes of MS, um, as well as Alzheimer's. A lot of the struggles that I faced since I was originally bit by a tick and contracted Lyme disease were pretty intense. It's honestly still really hard to talk about, but that's kind of why I want to talk about it, because I want to provide a platform for more people to speak about their their health issues and the fact that our system is very much pinned against us. I was living in Southern Oregon. I was working as an organic farmer when I was 18 years old, and I was houseless, and I started developing these very weird symptoms in that summer. I remember I started getting really weird headaches. I lost a ton of weight. Um, I was really fatigued. And then I started getting really severe bladder problems. So I felt like I had a UTI like permanently for months on end. Um, and I kept going to the hospital and being like, feels like I have a UTI. Like this is really painful. Um, I can't focus. I'm really weak. I'm like, I'm not doing well. And the doctors wouldn't even like test my urine to see if I was infected, they would just give me antibiotics and then they would send me on my way. And so I would eventually get better and feel slightly better. And then I would go on with my life. And then I would have these weird bursts of just like fatigue, overall aches, UTI pain, and then go back. And this happened for like, God, four, four years. Um, And then after about three years, I moved to Portland, Oregon. And I decided to go vegan and I started feeling a lot better and I didn't have that pain for a while. But then out of nowhere, I was throwing out my back doing nothing. I remember at one point I threw out my back just biking to class, which was like a normal bike ride that I had done every single day to my college classes. But like I couldn't stand for an entire month. Um, And I had to go to a chiropractor like five or six times. He eventually adjusted my back and He was like, what were you doing to do this to your back? I was like, I was just biking. He was like, I think there's like an underlying cause because this is not normal. Um, But I didn't really have the money to pursue what was going on with me. And I was working three service industry jobs while going to school full time, while volunteering at Planned Parenthood and um, being on their board of the leadership advocacy team. So I was working like 100 hour weeks. Um, And finally, after like, I think it was three years of living in Portland and kind of dealing with this on and off struggle of having 
these weird bladder symptoms and then going to the doctors and they were like, oh, well, it's just because you're not drinking enough water. Oh, it's because you take too many antibiotics, but then they would prescribe me more antibiotics. I was like, this is not okay. <laughs> I'm not doing good. Um, and around this time, I moved in with my partner into this, we were living in a basement and my symptoms got like a thousand times worse. It went from having bladder pain and, and aches and pains of feeling fatigue maybe like once a month to I couldn't get out of bed. Um, I completely crashed. I couldn't stand up. I swelled twice my size. Um, I was seeing double. I was having blurred vision. I was vomiting. I was just like in an extreme amount of pain. I actually ended up losing my job because I kept having to go to the ER and I was working as a barista and um, the person who owned the coffee shop that I was working at had, had absolutely zero empathy for what I was going through. So I ended up being in the ER about five times in one week. And I was like, I need to figure this out. This isn't okay. I'm in way too much pain. So I started seeing doctors. The first doctor I saw was my primary care physician who had been prescribing me antibiotics. And I came in and I was like, these are all these symptoms I'm dealing with. And she called a psychiatrist on me. And the psychiatrist came in and tried to explain to me that, you know, sometimes we just make things up in our head and that we're actually not in that level of pain. And I stormed out of the office and I ended up finding a naturopathic doctor that was like a two hour drive from me. And she explained to me, we did a bunch of tests and she was the one who found my brain tumor. She also found out I had Hashimoto's. And then she said, you know, I'm, I'm deeply concerned that you have Lyme disease. But the test to take Lyme disease is like $300 out of pocket. And most of the time it comes back negative, even if you have it. So we're just going to start preemptively treating you with it. And for the last three years, we've been struggling to treat me with this disease. Um, I have made huge strides and started feeling better. And then out of nowhere, I will crash and get sicker. I have been laid off from several jobs for being just too sick to stand up, um, too sick to focus on things. Most of them were service industry jobs. And I just finally landed the job that I have now, which has you know, been a, a dream job of mine since I can remember, honestly. <laughs> and have finally been able to start taking care of my health for the first time in my life, and I'm 26 years old. Um, one of the things I just, I wish people understood about these diseases, and I, I've been struggling really hard with this. I'm, uh, I lost a lot of friends when I got sick, and, and a lot of my family members just, they don't, they don't understand. And I just wish that like people got that, one, you don't have to get it to be there for someone, and by being there for someone, sometimes the easiest thing you could do is ask them how they're feeling or if they need anything. And also just understand that if they're feeling irritable or um, emotional, it's because the level of pain they're in, normal human bodies cannot handle. It's, it's, it's a level of pain that eventually you get used to. But I even remember very viscerally when I first got sick, I was like, I'm not going to survive this. This is so painful. I, How am I going to do this for the rest of my life? 
but I've started building up a tolerance to where now like on the pain days that used to be like a 10 for me they're now a five and I'll catch myself going on a long hike and I'll push myself too hard to a level 10 pain day for me now which is like unimaginable to me originally um so just because you see disabled people existing in society it doesn't mean they're not constantly in pain and they still need to know that there are people in their life that want to be there for them. Climate change is going to affect a lot of disabled people more disproportionately than it affects able-bodied people. Just on like a, on the most basic level, when we think of climate change, like let's think about hurricanes. Who's going to be able to flee their house quicker? Who's going to be able to have access to the things they need to survive and and think about the fact that the things that able-bodied people need to survive versus the things that disabled people need to survive are very different you can't drag a respirator with you away from a hurricane and then also when we pull out of that think about the the people who disproportionately are affected with chronic illnesses in the united states they're usually people of color and so when we think of climate justice and we think of disability justice it's very much intersectional with the black lives matter movement because Disabled people are more likely to be a person of color in the United States based on redlining and the fact that we push them into these districts that cause them to need access to health care more than able-bodied people. A lot of my work in climate justice when I first started, I was horrified um, because I would show up at events and rallies and there wasn't even a deaf interpreter. I'm, I'm really hard of hearing. I'm like 75% deaf. I rely on interpreters most of the time. And... I was horrified. I was going to rallies every single day here in Oregon for a climate justice bill. And there wasn't even like wheelchair access to these rallies. Um, There wasn't multilingual flyers about these rallies. Um, They weren't inclusive in any way, shape or form. I think able-bodied folks in in the climate justice movement, it's almost like up until now, I'm hoping that this movement changes the way that climate justice organizations work. But up until now, my perception has been, oh, well, if you're disabled, good luck. Um, So I think that being just more inclusive on the most basic level, have a deaf interpreter, um, have wheelchair access to events, have multilingual um, informational pamphlets, um, and then go from there. Start amplifying disabled voices. Start talking about how this disproportionately affects disabled people. Um, bring our stories and our voices into the fold because they're important and they matter. And we're also going to be some of the most impacted people. I think since I became disabled um, and since I've been struggling with my autoimmune diseases, I have learned that this is a marathon, not a race. And I think that in the climate justice movement, you know, it makes sense. Of course, we feel this way, that the world is at risk of ending. And we're, we feel that immediate need to just get up and fight every single day and burn ourselves out. But I think the one thing that I hope that the climate justice movement learns how to do, especially with young youth leaders, I am seeing this so often in the youth-led climate movement of just extreme burnout. We're not going to fix it all in a day. And 
you have to relax. It's like how I treat my body now. Like, I'm not going to get better if I don't at least spend one day a week in bed. I'm going to get sicker. It's going to get worse. And so I have to force myself to just take some time and reflect and think about what I'm doing with my body, what I'm doing to my body, so that, like, she understands. At the very least, I want to take care of her. And I think the same thing needs to go with the movement. You need to slow down eventually. You need to be able to take care of yourself, and you need to make space for that. Like, we're not going to fix this overnight, and we're not going to be able to fix it if everybody's too burnt out to do anything about it. I'm working to deconstruct the ableist narrative in my head that I have to be some kind of, like, non-sick, hardcore person again, and actually acknowledge just how, how hardcore I am now and how much this disease, I am not thankful for it. I will never be thankful for it. I, I don't like it when people say that um, about disabilities. I mean, if you are, that's fine. But um, it has humbled me a lot. And it's, it's forced me to learn a lot more about myself than I think being able ever did. And it's also highlighted a lot of the problematic things I let slide in my life and the people I allowed to kind of control my narrative. And so when I got sick and I saw that, I don't know, it made me acknowledge my reality a little bit more. And so maybe the thing that I would hope people knew about me and learned to know about themselves is learn to like dismantle that narrative in your head. And that the structure of perfection is just upholding white supremacy and that's never gonna get you anywhere. And the acknowledgement of who you are and the struggles you've been gonna make you a lot stronger of a person. Hello again, this is Kari Slaughter, Director of Design at OCV. Thank you all for listening, and thank you, Laura, for taking the time to share your experiences with us today. Thank you to Aletta Brady for interviewing Laura, and as usual, I had a great time mastering and scoring this episode. But my life was made a lot easier thanks to editing support from Taylor Medley, Abby Haley, and Annie Bartholomew. Our beautiful cover art was made by Cindy Santana. As always, a massive thank you to the rest of the OCV team for their consistent and valuable support to our dedicated community. If you'd like to engage further with OCV, you can find us on Instagram at Our Climate Voices or on our website at www.ourclimatevoices.org. Stay tuned for more episodes about the intersection of disability justice and the climate crisis in the coming months. See you then.